0: And Welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. Well, we're about two weeks in the camp. I actually just finished day 15 in a row up in Jupiter. Games have started. We're three games in. Evaluation is underway for Marlins manager Skip Schumacher and the Marlins front office to try to get that 26-man roster put together for opening day on March 30th. I'm going to get to all of that in a moment and break down what I've been seeing at camp through These first couple weeks and these first few games. But before all that, going to have a special guest on the podcast this week, uh, trying to provide interviews with players and players and people around the Marlins organization who aren't usually in the limelight. I did that last week when I put on here three player interviews, Braxton Garrett, Sean Reynolds and Josh Simpson. This week we're gonna be we're gonna have an interview with Marlins bullpen coach Wellington Cepeda. He's entering his fourth year in the Marlins org as the bullpen coach, essentially the right hand man to pitching coach and pitching guru Mel Steinmeier Jr. And Cepeda is also going to be the pitching coach for the Dominican Republic in the World Baseball Classic. So, in addition to trying to help his country win the tournament, win that event, he's also gonna be very key for the Marlins since he's gonna be the one who's going to have his eyes on site with Sandy Alcantara and Johnny Cueto while they're away from camp over what could potentially be two of the final three weeks of spring training. So Cepeda is going to have a very valuable role there, just like he has a very valuable role for the club. Now he's has a lot of experience. He's been in the coaching in pro ball for close to two decades. Now, a lot of it in the minor leagues before joining the Marlins four years ago. And, you know, enough of me rambling right now. Here is that interview with Wellington Cepeda. First and foremost, I've uh, been up here fourth season now. i been working with Mel. Just can you take me through the relationship between the two of you guys? How it works? How you guys divide and conquer everything with the pitching and how it's led to the success you guys have had so far?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, me and Mel go back to uh, the Arizona. You know, we, we were both pitching coaches there in the, in the farm system probably known Marin now for 20 years so the relationship just continue to grow uh, since then he uh, became the, the, the coordinator and I became one of his uh, assistant kind of it was the pitching coach but also assistant with the line guys and uh, that's the way he grew a lot and now the last four years here has been great uh, we continue to grow uh, not only as a, a co-worker here but also his family
0: yeah so and to see that one-two punch of you guys again to see it continue two decades later, just what is that? What's that like? And again, he's referred to you when we talked to him a couple weeks ago as he goes you're his right hand man. He could not be here and know everything will get done. Just that the, the synchronicity of you, the two of you, just to see how that's evolved over two decades. Yeah, like
1: I said, we, we have the same kind of philosophy. Uh, like I said, we grew up the same when we started up as pitching coaches, and and uh, the same philosophy. We we believe in. Uh, we trust each other. Uh, and we believe in uh, what we do. You know, we see the same thing kind of mechanically and and, and also mentally, and that's the way we we've done it for
0: the yeah. past uh, two decades. Yeah, and for people who may not know exactly what the role is, what is the typical day to day for a bullpen coach? I know everyone looks at the pitching coach when it comes to all that, but what goes into your role to to work on that? Side?
1: Yeah, I make sure everybody does their job. I mean, they make sure they prepare, uh, just like the starter do. I uh, make sure the bullpen guys prepare. I make sure I give them the scouting report on every hitter uh, to make sure we're on the same page with the catcher, and pitching coach, and myself. Uh, and also make sure to see how they are and make sure I, you know, I, I communicate with mail how everybody's doing and all that out of the fans. So it's a little world, it's a different world back there. But I make sure they, they keep you know pay attention to the ball game and uh, and know what they're going to do. They have a plan. So every time that when they come in they know what they're going to do out there with, with the hitter, specific hitter they're going to face.
0: Is it comparable to like what a bench coach is like to a manager in terms of you with a pitching coach? Is it that be a safe way to compare the, the role?
1: Yeah, it is compared. Uh, I say it is. Uh, like I said, uh, the communication between us is, is very important, just like the bench coach or the manager. And make sure when he give me, uh, you know, sometimes i call down there to the book and he'll ask me, what do you think about this guy, this guy and that? And, and I'll let him my opinion. You know, they have the final decision, but I let them know what I see in the bullpen, how they're warming up and all that.
0: Yeah, uh, WBC, you're going to be pitch coach for the DR. Just how did that role come about? And how excited are you to, to be in that role, to be on that stage? And yeah. be able to, for, I know a lot of the players here are excited to represent your country, but on the coaching side, it's got to be the same excitement.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, this is my second time I'll go. Mm-hmm. I went there in all nine, but I was the assistant pitching coach. Now I'll be the main guy. Uh, it's an honor, you know, representing your country and all that, and uh, my family, uh, represent the mornings. And also, we're going to have a couple of guys from our team, so it's very important for me to be there and, and take care of them, and, you know, hopefully we win it. But uh, it's an honor, really, to be there. and uh, It just came because, you know, probably one of the few Dominican guys in the big leagues, that's a pitching side of it. So that was part of the reason Nelson Cruz, which is the GM, kind of got a hold of me. And I knew Nelson before from Winterborn and all that. So got a hold of me and said, you know what, I want you to be the, ma- the main guy. And uh, they asked permission to Kim in the mornings, and uh, they gave him the okay to go.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned having a couple guys there. Curious your thoughts. You see Mel go out there and talk to Sandy. What do you think that's gonna be like when you have to go out there during a game, and be like, "Hey, this might be it." Just seeing what he's like. on that one. What do you think that's gonna be like when you're? Uh, again, it
1: would be an honor for me, you know, uh, being a pitching coach for a Cy Young Award winner. Uh, but I'm just glad, you know, and I know I never done that with with uh, with Sandy being out there while he's pitching. It'll be a great experience for me, but uh, it'll be it'll be an outstanding, you know be there
0: Yeah, in 09, that was your Cueto was in the debut stat year, too, right? So, two of you going back together, just, Cueto, what have you seen, what do you remember from 09 there? I remember, I you know he won the one game he pitched, and just the evolution of his career from your vantage point, obviously a lot from a distance, but what have you seen from him, and what do you think he can bring to this club?
1: Uh, I mean, he's going to be experienced, first of all, first of yeah. the most, uh, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to go out there and compete, throw strikes, and that's part of the thing we need, you know, as a Dominican team. We're uh, going to be loaded, uh, both uh, uh, position player-wise and, and, and pitching-wise. So just Quarter, just the experience and the way he goes about his business. So, uh, And he has the experience of being in the Classic. So that's, a, that's even better, just to have him there and, 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 and kind of teach the young guys that haven't been there. You know, how to, how to, how to prepare for that and and then go out there and
0: execute. You talked about the team being stacked, you guys, Venezuela, see what the U.S. has, just to see the evolution of the tournament and seeing guys wanting to do it. Obviously, it's in the middle of spring training. There's other things they could be doing to, to see how the tournament has grown since that 2009 tournament. What does that
1: mean to you to see to see the growth? Uh, it's grown enormously. Uh, you know, especially the way people prepare before it was more go out there, do your best, pursue your strength and all that. But now it's like a regular uh, season game. You're gonna go over hitters. You're gonna have a plan, and then they gotta go out there and execute. So, but just how the people are, especially in my country, you know, how people are like into it more than ever before so they're looking forward for this plus a six year in between instead of four so people are desperate kind of to watch this uh this tournament go on and and, and see who becomes a winner Uh,
0: for you personally when you look at your career trajectory two decades in the business now up here for the last four years just can you take me through just what the ride has been like for you going from Doing stuff, doing stuff at the lower levels too. Now being established as a big league coach, what has that been like for you?
1: No, oh, it's been great. Uh, you know, you learn every year. You never stop learning. So coming all the way from uh, when I stopped playing in 2000 and becoming a coach to now, uh, you know, I've grown enormously. I continue to learn, like I said, you never stop learning. Uh, but it's been outstanding. and I love it. I love it. This is what this is my passion. This is what I love, and continue to you know pass my knowledge to to the young guys who are coming out especially in their own language the people that speak Spanish, so uh,
0: this is a blessing. So what's the biggest thing you have learned about yourself? What would you say would be the biggest thing you've learned?
1: Uh, again, just uh, just be around these guys and continue to grow, that's, that's the biggest thing and really. Uh, Being with a lot of people that, 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 you know, that brought me to be alone, like with and all that, to be around them and, and continue to learn from them, it's been a blessing. Uh,
0: couple weeks in the Camping out games, which is starting today, but anybody who's caught your eye that maybe by surprise or has impressed so far during the early level? You no, know,
1: most of them, really, all of them. I mean, they came in great shape, which is great. Uh, to be honest, probably, probably Cabrera, and you know, going back to the past two years, seeing him, he had a slow start in spring training just to get his arm going and all that, and, and seeing him now the way he is, I think he looks like he's in mid-season form, so... Probably Cabrera will be the guy. Also, it's Trevor. Trevor has been another guy that, you know, he had issue last year with his back and all that, but he seems healthy. Uh, He's great with his arms a lot, and he seems like he's going to have a a big bounce uh, back here.
0: Yeah, and now, game starting, how exciting are you to actually see them in the live setting, not just facing their own teammates to yeah. be able to get in the game action and start really getting to, to see the work in action?
1: Yeah, uh, can't wait for this. Uh, this is one thing we were waiting for, uh, to start games. Uh, and see them, like you said, facing another team and like that, it's a little different. you know. The, the adrenaline kicks in a little bit. And now you start getting, you know, all your, your stuff is playing against different teams, not only our guys. So uh, it's exciting again to to be out there and start spring training. And, you know, a month from now, we, it's going to be play ball, you know, in, in, in Lone Depot. So, uh, you know, like everybody get uh, ready again, yeah, get in their innings, they're getting their ups and downs. And, and, uh, and the bullpen guys get in their innings and then be ready for opening day. Thanks, so appreciate You're it. you <laughs> What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member
0: FDSC. And once again, I appreciate Wellington Pay taking the time to talk with me earlier uh, in camp a few days ago. He's obviously, he's been an incredible insight to the Marlins pitching structure and how his relationship with Mel has helped the two of them forge that bond and, be able to basically build off of each other as they've progressed throughout these last four years. And as a reminder, the world baseball classic, it's fast approaching and Lone Depot park is going to be front and center of it all. They're hosting one of the four pools, one of the two sets of quarterfinals, the semifinal and the championship pool play at Lone Depot park is from March 11th to March 15th. The teams for Miami's pool. Again, this pool is stacked. You got Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Nicaragua, and Israel. There's going to be two games a day for those first five days, noon and seven, from March 11th to March 15th. There's an off day on March 16th in Miami. The quarterfinals will be March 17th and March 18th. The semifinals, March 19th and 20th, and the final will be on March 21st. And the Herald is going to be keeping you posted all throughout and leading up to the tournament. Uh, I'm going to have a package of stories previewing the Classic. Myself, Andre Fernandez, a couple of our other colleagues, David Wilson, Greg Cody, Jorge Ebro with El Nuevo Herald. We're all going to be taking part in covering the World Baseball Classic. I'll be bouncing back and forth between there and Jupiter to cover the Marlins. Since again, opening day is not long after the tournament ends, so have to make sure I'm up to date with everything going into the season. But we're going to have a full package of stories that are going to start rolling out next week around the time when the full tournament itself starts. And next week's podcast is going to be devoted heavily to previewing the tournament, looking at the field that will be starting in Miami and pool play, and just trying to get you guys ready for what's to come at Lone Devil Park over the course of those 11 days. And now that we're done with World Baseball Classic Talk, on the Marlins Spring Training. Again, they're two weeks in. They got about four weeks left until camp breaks and they get ready for opening day on March 30th against the New York Mets. And I've been up there every day so far. So I'm going to try to get through as much of what I've seen so far from camp over these first two weeks and through the first three games as of the recording of this podcast. It's going to be a little rapid fire so I can get through as much as possible without making this episode longer than it needs to be. So first and foremost, The pitch clock, consider me a fan. I was a supporter of this when it got proposed early on, and now that I'm a few games into watching it, I'm fully on board. Just look at the times for the Marlins' first three spring training games. Their night game up in Port St. Lucie against the Mets, two hours and 35 minutes. Their game on Sunday afternoon against St. Louis Cardinals, 226. And their game on Monday in West Palm Beach against the Houston Astros, two hours, 19 minutes. Again, and it's not that any action is missing. It's the pace of play is a lot faster. And I think it was Anthony Kastrovinch with LMB.com who put it on Twitter. He summed it up the best. It's not there's. It's not that there is – it's not about pace of play. It's – or not about how much that there's going to be less baseball. There's less non-baseball happening. So all of that time in between when we're waiting for the pitch and we're waiting for something to happen, a lot of that has gotten reduced. So far, I've seen, at least from the Marlins standpoint, Marlins pitchers have been fine with it through the early going. There were a couple pitch clock violations through the first three games, but most of it was a slight misunderstanding all around on Sunday that came with pitchers when they're doing their warmups, uh, when they're doing their warmups coming onto the mountain. Uh, at the beginning of an the inning, they have, I believe it's the clock starts at two minutes and 15 seconds for them to throw their eight warmup pitches. The last warm-up pitch needs to be thrown by the time the clock hits 30 seconds, which is when the first the batter is supposed to start making his way to the box. If that final warm-up pitch isn't thrown by the time the clock hits 30, the pitcher is assessing on that ball for the first at-bat, for the first plate appearance of the inning. That happened to Yuri Perez and Will Stewart on Sunday. They both... Did not understand the rule. I don't think the rule was explained properly. I think it was the explanation that Skip Schumacher gave. And by the end of the game, everyone was on the same page. Everyone seemed to understand it. Now, there are still nuances that obviously need to be worked out. And some of those are just going to be things that come with a matter of time. I mean, one thing that really stuck out was pitchers understanding that when they're releasing their pitches, if they, for example, look at the, if they re- are, Throwing their pitch when there's nine seconds on the clock every single time, hitters are going to pick up on that pattern and be able to get quicker jumps with their stolen base attempts and be able to figure out things with timing at the plate. Uh, so, f- trying not to fall into patterns there, and also for guy for younger guys to not just quick pitch and be able to realize that sometimes they have more time than they think, and that balance of knowing you need to get the pitch out before the clock hits zero, but also using the clock to your advantage to throw it earlier in the count when there's 15 14 13 seconds left versus okay now throwing it with three two one seconds left and figuring out how to mix and match when they're actually releasing their pitch that's something that a lot of the guys are going to have to adjust to and then other things are like guys when a ball is in play pitchers who are having to go and cover a base and having to quickly get back to to the mound before the clock starts up and having to get their first pitch off, learning how to balance, their basically their breathing, getting making sure they're on, on the right page and they're keeping their tempo right when they're having to do other baseball related things outside of just pitching when they're having to deal with the clock. So that all all that stuff will sort itself out. Teams have about a month until the season starts to really start figuring all that out. Everyone's gone through their first game so far, so things are going to develop over time and. Teams are gonna realize they have to adapt to it. they're gonna to have to learn learn to learn it abide by it. It's all the new rules they're not going away. uh next topic uh the Marlins infield as everyone as we have discussed on this uh, this show before, the Marlins projected starting infield is Garrett Cooper at first base, Luisa Rise at second, Joey Wendell at short, and Gene Segura at third. The Marlins and skip manager Skip Schumacher specifically are trying to get those four as many rep game reps together as possible, especially over this next week, because by the time Sunday, Monday hits Gene Segura and Luis arise are gone. They're going to the world baseball classic. They have to report to their respective countries camps to get ready for the world baseball classic. So there's not that much time for the four of them to really get a chance to gel and get into a groove in live action before the season starts. So they're trying to put them out there. I believe they all went about five innings in their first game on Sunday. I anticipated being about the same on Tuesday when they're, when they're together for the second time and they're going to probably try to get together. I would assume at least two more times this week before Gene Segura and Luis Arise leave for the world baseball classic. And then as soon as they, both of them are back, it's going to be the same thing, getting them try and get back to back days, especially over that final week before camp breaks and the season begins. And it's really just, it's not necessarily about them getting reps in the position individually. It's, about the chemistry, about knowing, about Luis Rice and Joey Wendell, understanding how each other, how the other likes a ball given to them for a double play, how Gene Segura and Joey Wendell interact on the left side of the infield with Gene Segura still, with Gene Segura having limited reps at third base throughout his career and knowing that he may have that tendency to try to go for every ball that's close to him like he was a shortstop. Them having to learn to communicate with each other, knowing who gets priority on the ball, how a play gets made, et cetera, et cetera. So they're trying to get as many reps as possible. Again, spring training, especially early, you don't want guys going back-to-back, but there are situations that may call for that. Uh, Next up, a big day happened on Sunday. Yuri Perez made his spring training debut. He threw two innings in St. Louis Cardinals, and he showed why he is such a highly touted prospect I mean his second pitch of the game was 99.6 miles an hour that was his first pitch to Nolan Arenado he was very he was solid throughout the entire game but he also showed why you have to remember that he's a nine, he's 19 years old going on 20 has only been in pro ball for two years his stuff plays we all know that the fastball's both the four seam and the sinker hit the upper 90s. His changeup is in the low 90s with swing and miss. His slider is in the mid-upper 80s and can get some swing and miss. I feel like I've heard that before with a certain ace of this rotation right now in Sandy Alcantara. Uh, I mean, and, and honestly, Sandy has been mentoring Yuri. The two of them are very similar outside of the fact that Yuri's about three to four inches taller and about 15 pounds heavier and eight years younger. Again, Sandy has Sandy is very seasoned. He knows where his stuff is. Yuri, while he has the talent, there is still there are still boxes for him to check as he moves through spring training and his just his overall development this year between learning how to sequence his pitches, learning how to adjust to that pitch clock and a lot some of these new rules. The pitch clock was there in the minors, but he's still having to adjust to a while trying to figure everything out with the expectations and expectations are something that he has to keep in mind as well. He's trying to focus on himself when there is a lot of noise out there about him, because again, he's 19 years old. He had that great season in double a he's considered one of the top two or three right-handed pitcher pitching prospects in all of baseball. And at some point when he gets up here, people are going to expect him to contribute right away and there are some people hoping that he gets here sooner than later, and it just gets back to the point of he needs to know that he will be ready when he's ready, when he is fully set to come up, when, he, when the organization is confident that he will be set to not just get to the big leagues but stay in the big leagues, you will see Yuri Perez in the big leagues. Is that going to be opening day? Very, very unlikely. Could it be this summer? Yes, it could. Maybe September, depending on if they want to really take it easy with him and depending on what the organization need, needs are with the rotation, we'll see how it all plays out. But for right now, he looked good. His first, his first outing showed promise, but it also showed that there is still some learning to go for Yuri Perez. And then for another prospect, Dax Fulton, he's going to be making his debut his spring debut on Tuesday night as well. So we're getting to see a lot of these young guys, and both of them are going to get, a lot of action, especially during that, that stretch during the world baseball classic, when the Marlins are without three of their guys in the rotation in Sandy, Johnny Cueto and Jesus Lazardo. So the Marlins will be able to move those guys around and give them the extra reps in live settings. It'll be fun to watch them and see what they're able to do. But also, as I said, again, put it with the caveat of don't look at the spring training results and solely say, look, he has this, he's ready. Let them. Let them. Mature, let them progress, let them get to where they need to be at their own pace and celebrate the celebrate the win, celebrate the big moments, but also appreciate the development and give them that time to get that seasoning that they need. A few individuals on the position player side, Uh, Garrett Hampson is one I want to start with non roster invitee was with Colorado the last parts of the last five seasons up in the big leagues. He was non-tender last off season, this past offseason after having his worst offensive season in the big leagues. It was about a 211 average, a sub-600 OPS, uh, and the Marlins brought him in. And while, the, again, spring training numbers are spring training numbers, Skip Schumacher has previous experience with him from when Skip was with the Padres organization, two years in the front office, and then two years first base coach and uh, and a the assistant uh, the associate manager, I believe was the title he had those last two years. So he saw Gary Hampson in the NL West uh, plays up the middle of the field, can play shortstop, can play second base, can play center field. And Schumacher said, if he's going to be, be part of this roster. And if Gary Hampson makes the roster, it will be as a bench bat sort of in the similar type role as John Birdie. Uh, it's, he's going to have to play all three of those spots. And he, Essentially, is going to be if he makes the roster, the backup center fielder, the backup center fielder, and to be able to give guys off their get guys off their feet in the middle infield. John Birdie plays that will play that type of role as well, and he'll be a guy who can pinch it and pinch it against uh, left handed left handed pitching, which is an area where he has excelled during his career. So he's a guy that Skip Schumacher has already given some high praise to, and is a guy who. I would keep my eye on looking forward as decisions start to get made in the next coming weeks. And a couple other notes on that, the Marlins, while their 40 man roster is full at the moment, they tech they at this point have three guys who they will be able to move onto the 60 day IL whenever they do need to make, make roster moves. You have Max Meyer, who's under on, who is recovering, rehabbing from Tommy John, Anthony Bender, who's rehabbing from Tommy John surgery and Nick Enright, the rule five pick who, in uh december was diagnosed with hodgkin's lymphoma he is doing his his work his conditioning but he's not going to be ready until most likely some point after his second round of of treatments in july so the marlins b- are being obviously cautious with him but they're going to most likely start him on the 60 day il because otherwise he has to stay on the active roster as a rule 5 pick so you have three open you have three roster spots on the 40 man that are available for the taking for people who aren't currently on the 40 man roster, whether those are guys who are in camp or free agents or trade acquisitions that the Marlins are could attempt to make over the next month. The Marlins have some flexibility on that front. Uh, two other pro- two prospects or two younger guys who have impressed early so far in camp, Jordan Groshans and Peyton Burdick. I'll start with Burdick uh, hit uh, the the club's first home run of camp of spring training on Monday two run shot to right field against the Astros uh and his at bats have all looked nice so far. He has I believe it's four RBI over the first three games. Uh he's played he's able to play all three outfield spots was looking real he looked really smooth in center field on Saturday in their great for league debut and his swing looked so much better than it was during the regular season when the Marlins called him up. He's been working with hitting coach Brant Brown, who essentially brought his swing back to what it was when he was playing in college at Wright State. And that's where Peyton Burke had a lot of success and why it got him, why the Marlins ended up drafting him on day two in that 2019 draft, and why he had such success early in that first year of pro ball before COVID. And they brought him back to his swing, they simplified it, and the early results look good, and we'll see how it plays out moving forward. As for Jordan Groshans, and remember, he was the guy who they got from the Toronto Blue Jays at the trade deadline for Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. He made his debut in mid-September, played about a couple weeks in the big leagues, all at third base. And the Marlins on Monday had him play first base. Give him some reps there so that if he is able to make the club, he has another option for getting on the field. Because again, Gene Segura is expected to play live third, John Birdie. Will be a guy who's able to who is able to spell guys all over the field. First base is really that spot where the Marlins are thin when it comes to depth because right now it's Garrett Cooper and then Luis Ariz who's supposed to be starting at second base is right now the backup first baseman. So if you if you're able to develop a guy like Jordan Groshans who put on about 15 pounds this off season, his at bats have looked good so far. He has some he has some pop potential and is a gap to gap guy who can give you a little bit of that combo of power and contact. If you can develop him and get him to the spot where he's able to play first and third, it gives him another route to getting onto the roster. And then to wrap up this episode, Sixto Sanchez. He finally got back on the mound on Monday. He threw a 15 pitch bullpen session, his first since reporting to camp 2 weeks ago. He threw a handful of bullpens before coming to before coming to camp. And it's still, it's a slow and steady process. He threw 15 pitches on Monday. It was all fastballs. It wasn't high, 100% intensity. It was making sure the mechanics look right, making sure everything's okay with his shoulder, making sure there are no setbacks as he gets, as he continues to ramp up and get to where he needs to be. He's expected to throw another bullpen session on Friday. And the hope is after he throws that one, he can start weaving in some more of his pitches, start ramping the velocity up, and start getting into the getting closer and closer to being ready for game action. No, I I'm not sure when or if he's going to get into Grapefruit League games. And obviously, once he is fully ready to play in games, he's going to start in the minor leagues. The Marlins need to take the slow and steady route to see to make sure they can get any as much and any value as they can out of him, especially since he's lost his last two years due to an assortment of shoulder injuries that have required two separate surgeries and just that frustrating process for him individually and the Marlins at large, trying to make sure, trying to just find a way to get him back on the field, get him back on the mound. And Monday was obviously a positive first step I'm most interested to see once he finally progresses beyond the bullpens and into live batting practice sessions, because that's where the hiccup came last year. Once he got ramped up and had that, the had that extra oomph to face live hairs, actually face bats. That's when he had the next setback for getting too geared up to, to, for the competition. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens with him and we'll see what happens with the rest of camp. we have, three and a half more weeks until camp breaks and the marlins have to finalize their decisions and we're gonna be there for the run of it so with that that's going to conclude this week's episode of fish bites thanks so much as always for tuning in and next week we'll be talking world baseball Classic. thanks so much everyone